Hello and welcome to Cult Classic Society, the podcast where I, Bobby Davies, and my pal Tim Martini say hi, Tim. Hello. We go through movies, we go through television, we go through music and comic books and video games. We talk about them for over an hour and you have to suffer through it. Thanks for listening, everyone. How are you, Timothy? <laughs> well, I'm just going to scare our audience off. I'm doing great, Bobby. Um, <laughs> I said it during the last episode, but I've been going through the Halo games um, all on the Master Chief Collection, which has been a blast because I was an Xbox kid, so I grew up on Halo. So to actually play that like, on PC with mouse and keyboard controls and the best graphics possible, it's just been a fun experience. I didn't mention this in the last episode, but in lockdown, I was full-time furloughed, so I was paid to be at home. And you know what I did? I you fucking hundred percent in the Master Chief Collection. <laughs> I played a lot of Halo. But, good, you know, good. Time, time well spent, you know, time well spent. So, we, we've got to the point, Tim, where I thought you had seen something, and you bloody hadn't. And the, the <laughs> thing that I thought you had seen is the thing that I kind of named the podcast after. The, the kind of in, inspiration for the title of this podcast comes from this movie. We're going to talk about Dead Poet Society, but before we talk, Tim, I've just got to do something. One second. You just stay there. I'm just going to um, put this uh, on. Uh, uh, oh, no. <laughs> right. Got a tie. This is just for the audio people. I've got a tie. Got a jacket. Because school is in session, Tim. Right. <laughs> uh, you can call me Bobby, or you can call me Oh Captain, my captain. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Oh Captain, my captain. Thank you, Tim. Appreciated. <laughs> Appreciated. <laughs> I'm actually going to sit here in this jacket the whole time now. I look like a prat. Great. Let's do this. <laughs> so dead poet society released in 1989 directed by peter weir written by tom shulman starring the late great robin williams what if anything did you know about this movie tim oh captain my captain yeah the that line is synonymous kind of and has been taken up in tons of pop culture including the simpsons which we both love i would say though I always got Dead Poet Society and Goodwill Hunting mixed up. I can see why they're two of Robin Williams's few serious roles. Yeah, uh, I do want to do Goodwill Hunting. Have you Have you seen Goodwill Hunting? No, I haven't. <laughs> we'll, we'll do Goodwill Hunting as well. I love Goodwill Hunting. Great movie. We're going way back, Tim. The film is set in 1959. Oh, no. We <laughs> open with some kind of hideous prep school ceremony where they're playing bagpipes and i've been to the edinburgh fringe a fair few times and one of the places we stayed the guy was playing bagpipes at 7 a.m every fucking morning so bagpipes actually have this horrible kind of flashback thing for me in a, like every time i hear bagpipes i think i've been woken up you know i got home from a comedy show or got back to the place we were staying from a comedy show at one two o'clock in the morning and then got woken up by bagpipes at 7 a.m Yes. So bagpipes give me that trauma. <laughs> the ceremony is in like the school church. A lot of these prep schools, especially the old ones, have churches. Yeah. A bit like Hogwarts. Looks a bit like Hogwarts, but it's actually called uh, Welton. Can I just say the- when um, like we just see the bagpipes and the kids just walking into like the church altar type thing, I thought this was a cult. It's a bit culty, isn't it? 
it's a little bit culty. The school, though, very prestigious, very regimented, and like AEW, they have four pillars, <laughs> except their pillars are not Jungle Boy, Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, and MJF. No, they are tradition, honor, discipline, and excellence. And I already am thankful of my regular UK school experience yeah this sounds fucking hideous but look the the four pillars sound great and everything but can one of them do a casket drop that's all i care about you know <laughs> no no they cannot and one of them also you know isn't the best talker in wrestling at the minute you know they, these are <laughs> these are all things they are not they're a prep we'd call it a private school or a public school it was weird because they mean the same thing but in america they're called prep schools they kind of feed people into the top unis or colleges in America, so the yeah. Ivy League there. The kind of schools that feed Oxford and Cambridge here. We meet the new English teacher, Mr. Keating, who is played by... Robin Williams. The late great, the master, Robin Williams. He used to be a student at the school, the character, Mr. Keating, but he has been over in London at Chester School, which I'm pretty sure doesn't exist. I didn't even look it up because I was so sure it didn't exist. <laughs> Never fucking heard of it. We meet some students and one of the dads, the dad who is one of the lead characters' dads, he's Neil's dad. I'm just going to call him Red because in that 70s show, that is his name. So, Red, who is... He's the dad of the lead character in that 70s show. He's the dad of the lead here. Red. <laughs> And straight after we meet Red and his dad, we meet his son, who is Neil, who is played by Robert Sean Leonard. Do you know what Robert Sean Leonard's been in? What he's famous for? No, he looks really familiar, though. Have you ever watched House? Yes. He's one of the leads in House. He's one of the main uh, doctors who House teaches. Oh, okay. Yes. And we also meet Todd, who is played by Ethan Hawke. Yeah, that threw me off. (laughs) Yeah. Training Day, and then more recently, like Moon Knight, Glass Onion. Yeah. Ethan Hawke. You know who Ethan Hawke is. Some of the students say to Neil that Todd is a bit of a square, but they have to share their new dorm. So he's like, ah, leave him alone. He'll be all right. Don't worry about it. And then Todd comes in, and it's all a bit awkward. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some other, a bunch of other students come in, and they've got their own four pillars. Did you write down what these four pillars were, Timothy? No, I didn't. <laughs> So instead of the your yeah, excellence, whatever it was, they've got travesty, horror, decadence, and excrement. <laughs> and they call Welton Helton. They're not wrong. No. One of the students sparks up a cigarette, and they all introduce themselves to Todd. They mostly go by surname, so I'm just going to call them by their surname. They're Meeks, Dalton, and Overstreet. <laughs> Neil's dad, brackets, red. <laughs> comes in and tells him that he actually has to drop some of his extracurricular activities because he's not paying to, for him to go to this school to not get good grades, etc, etc. Even though Neil has always been known as a like straight-A student, he's like, ah, oh, you slack off once, you slack off forever. Yeah, exactly. So Neil, all Neil wants to do it this way, they call it the annual, but it's, it's a yearbook. That's all he wants to work on, like his extracurricular activities. He wants to do that, and then he'll probably still get straight A's. And his dad is just like no you do what i say and then he calls his dad sir and every time i hear someone call their dad sir i get a bit weirded out there 
And then he kind of gives mixed messages by going, oh, you you tell us if you need anything, son. It's like, I need you to let me call you dad and not sir, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I fucking need you weirdo. to fuck off. Yeah. I need you to let me fucking just be a teenager. You <laughs> They're also, the characters are just as a, as a note. They're not little kids. They're 17. So yeah. they would be in first year, sixth form or college uh, here. But obviously you go to school in America till you're 18. So they're probably uh, second to last year at school. Yeah, before senior year. Yeah, the the lads, as they you know, they're not really lads, but they're kind of lads. <laughs> they organise a Latin study group, so that kind of takes away their ladness. <laughs> Why do they teach Latin? I don't know. I've I've never understood it. Okay, it's a dead language. No one in society speaks it. Why? It's it's unnecessary. <laughs> I mean, this is 1959, and I'm pretty sure no one spoke it then either. So no, it's it's been dead for hundreds of years. <laughs> the prep school is like as rowdy as any other school. They're all just coming down the stairs, being loud. The science teacher. Uh, then we kind of cut to the lessons. And first, we get the science teacher, and he's giving them a ton of homework. The Latin teacher's just making them repeat everything. There's a trigonometry teacher who's dead harsh. Yeah. And then finally, we get to English class. But Keating hasn't arrived yet. Uh, the lads bully one of the other lads, and we get uh, an insult that we actually heard in our very first episode of Cold Classic Society. Do you remember what it was? No. <laughs> so one of the boys throws paper at one of the boys near the front and calls him Spaz. <laughs> which, if you remember back to our Mighty Ducks episode, which is the first episode of this podcast, in the first movie, a lot of them call Charlie Spazway, which is lovely. Oh, it's a, ni- it's a nice full circle moment for yeah. us. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Which is weird, because it goes from first episode to 34, but the episode that is about the film that we named the podcast yeah. after. So kind of, kind of. Keating comes in through one door while whistling, and he leaves via the back door, beckoning all the students to follow him. And he... As they kind of get to this hallway where there's trophy cabinets and stuff, he kind of reels off a bit of a Walt Whitman poem about Abe Lincoln, and that has the famous line in it, O Captain, my captain. And he says, you can call me O Captain, my captain, or you can call me Mr. Keating. (laughs) One or the other. Keating, we find out this is where he tells them anyway, that he went to Welton and he got bullied, and he also calls it Helton. So he had a tough time at this school. He kind of understands what these lads are going through. And it seemed like he's going to give them maybe a bit of a better experience than they're used to. I was going to say, I love when he like draws the students closer to look at all the old faces. And he starts whispering like fake inspirational quotes. But what I like <laughs> yeah. the camera work there is, it will like highlight each of their faces to make it look like it's actually them saying it. You're not yeah. seeing, you only see right at the end, Keaton say the words but for most of that little bit of dialogue it's on those people yeah he's it's it's a very that that scene it's very lovely it's kind of the first it feels like it's the first time an adult has treated them like human beings and obviously it's the first time we see it in the movie but for a lot of them the way they act it kind of feels like it is the first time keaton makes the students read out a poem whilst he's like ribbing them a little bit it's a bit like a mate almost or an older brother kind of giving them a bit of like jip 
and he makes I can't remember what the poem is called. It's called The Virgin Something, and he picks up one of them and goes, "You should read that." Which <laughs> is quite a funny little joke. Keating gets the boys to look into the trophy cabinet, and this is what you were saying yeah. when the shots really kind of beautifully pans across them, and Keating is whispering the whole time, "Carpe diem, carpe diem." Which for, you know, 1989, I don't think everyone knew what that meant. Now, every other dickhead's got it tattooed on them. But it means, <laughs> see, seize the day, carpe There's diem. There's that or Memento Mori on the tattoos. Uh, always on the forearm as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dan, I don't know why you did that to yourself. I don't know. <laughs> forearm or neck is the usual. Yeah. Usual one. They, oh, the... The students will have a communal shower, which I just find fucking weird. Yeah. It's so much like prison. It's it's bizarre. Like no privacy at all. I don't know if this is just because, you know, 1959 they didn't deserve privacy. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the way of thinking, but no. Uh. But Bobby, they're gonna catch gay if they do that. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, isn't it? That they were so homophobic and let and and yet they encourage all these young boys who are discovering themselves to shower together like with no separation or anything like, and then they you won't be gay if you constantly look at your friend's penis yeah you'll be repulsed but what's funny is the the kind of what is it the roughly give or take 10% of the, the boys in there that will be gay yeah you're putting them in front of naked other boys and then going it's bad to be gay <laughs> which is so fucking dumb don't be gay now wash your friend's back <laughs> Todd seems to have taken Keating's message on board and he writes Carpe Diem but I think he writes Seize the Day rather than Carpe Diem yeah he writes book. Seize the Day yeah in his little notebook and then he kind of tears it out puts it away but he's kind of uh, a little trickling into his head a little bit a little something Overstreet who's it's a weird name but that is his surname Overstreet one of the boys has been taken to meet some prestigious alums of the school yes. some friends of his dad's as he gets there, a girl answers the door. I misremember this, actually. It's been a little while since I watched it. It's a small detail, to be fair. In my head, I thought she was their daughter. She's not. She, her name's Chris. Yeah. And she is the the girlfriend of their son, Chet. Oh, uh, okay. And Overstreet is in love straight away. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he comes back to the common room back at the school and tells them all his little story about meeting Chris. And he's like, oh, I'm in love. It's like, oh, teenagers. Because <laughs> yeah, he interrupts their study group. And like they make reference to it earlier. Going, oh, we're going to go to the study group. I was, I was like, oh, okay, you know, study group. No, they're actually studying. <laughs> some of them are studying. Some of them are like making a radio and just goofing around, you know. To be fair, that's a good extracurricular project if you can build a radio, especially, you know, out of parts in 1959. Good work. Yeah. <laughs> in Keating's class, Neil is made to read out something about poetry from a textbook it's about how to evaluate poetry I, he lets neil read it out and then he explains that he reckons this is crap that art is you know interpreted dip, you know differently person to person there is no standardized way of measuring it no matter what their textbook says and he gets them to just tear it out of the fucking book and did you notice on one of the notebooks so they're tearing out these pages and you see one of the boys notebooks did you see what was on it no, it's a. Uh... He had drawn a pair of boobs. <laughs> because he's a teenager, and obviously he had. And obviously he's not gay. Sharon no, no, no. Boyce has made him straight. <laughs> Mr. McAllister comes in, who is another teacher, 
he admonishes the boys for tearing the whatever out of the book until he realizes Keating's actually in there. Yeah. You know, he sees these unusual tactics. Keating wants them to like think for themselves as rather than follow the curriculum, which is a problem we have in schools nowadays. I've got friends who are teachers and they're like, uh, yeah, there's no like passion in teaching. You just have to get through everything. Yeah. It's like so, you can't encourage them to think. So my question has been like, how many teachers have tried this method of teaching since this movie came out? You got to think a few more, right? You got to think of people have been like, you know what? He's got a point. Let's try and yeah. encourage critical thinking. You got comedians out there like Tim Minchin who are advocates of critical thinking and stuff. And he, you know, he went to school in the Australian system, but maybe he had a teacher that helped him kind of push, push that thought. <laughs> I think the internet obviously is both good and bad as a source of information and material. Yeah. And there's a lot of great stuff about critical thinking and thinking for yourself out there. There's also a lot of great stuff about not great stuff. Sorry. It's a lot of hideous stuff about, you know, think how we tell you to think. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. a fine line. Keating says the human race is filled with passion. And this is why we write poetry. I think this is quite a nice line because he says poetry, but you can think about that in terms of like most creative pursuits. So music, filmmaking, pretty much anything you could think that's creative, like painting, I feel like you can apply to this logic. Yeah, absolutely. King says the boys need to write their own verse. By that he means like in their life. They need to kind of be who they are, not who society and this stuffy school tells them they're supposed to be. At their lunch, we kind of get a little conversation between Keaton and McAllister discussing the teaching methods. Uh, Keating does accuse McAllister of being stuffy and not a free thinker but then McAllister reels off some poetry and Keating then does another bit and he McAllister doesn't know where it's from and he kind of thinks is that the next bit of what I'm saying or is it? and then he's like what is that and he's like Keating he's like he's it's his own words <laughs> so I just made it up yeah the boys find Keating's yearbook. They call it an annual, but it's a yearbook. That's what we know it as nowadays. Like in the UK and the US, I think you call it a yearbook. Yeah. Do you want a little fact about this bit? Is that a real photo of Robin Williams? It's his actual yearbook picture. <laughs> That's when they read in the yearbook that he was part of the Dead Poet Society. They don't know what that is, but they've got to find out. Yeah. <laughs> The boys are chasing Keating across kind of a, a grassy verge on the way to their lake. And they go, they go like, they're like, Mr. Keating, Mr. Keating, he ignores them. And then one of them goes, oh, captain, my captain. And he turns around <laughs> <laughs> and they show him the yearbook and he asks about the Dead Poet Society. And Keating tells them the concept of the society. It's a kind the of the way he describes it. He wants to fuck a poetry book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's like, it's like, it was like dripping honey out of our mouths. Women would lust over us. It's like salivating over the fact they talk about poetry. Oh, yeah. And again, I feel like, you know, he, assuming this is 50, well, he's 59. Assuming he's been out of school for 15 years by this point, maybe. That puts his, you know, going to school in the mid 40s, pre, pre the Beatles, pre the rock and roll explosion. Poets probably were the, uh, the lusted after they were, they were the Beatles of their time. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know it as a fact, but I can see it. <laughs> Keating says they used to go to this old cave 
it's like a Native American cave, and they would say honey, like uh, they would say poetry. They were romantics, like you said, it was like honey dripping from their tongues. Women would swoon, and all you need to say to teenage boys is that it will, you know, women will swoon after you <laughs> if you do this thing, and they're instantly fucking persuaded. They are on this. I think it made me think back to when I was a teenager, maybe my early twenties. I think poetry is quite, you know, a noble art form, but. There were definitely some pretentious pricks that I knew who thought engaging in poetry made them more intelligent or better or oh, more yeah. appealing or more appealing to people as well. I, I know some people like you so say you're talking like the mid 2000s here. There's people that I know who would have been like on this. It's like, really? The times haven't changed that much. OK, cool. Of course, <laughs> of course. Todd said he doesn't want to go as he doesn't want to read out loud. So, Neil, I thought at this point Todd was dyslexic. Oh, you thought that was going to be where the story was going? I thought that was his going to be the reveal because he has issues with like reading. He doesn't do a public, he's embarrassed about it. I was like, okay, dyslexia. Well, yeah, um, that is definitely a read. I mean, I've watched this movie. I can't remember the, what my first initial thoughts were. I think I probably originally watched it in about, probably about 2000, 2001. I don't think I read into it that much that he was dyslexic, but in a modern audience where there's an awareness of kind of learning difficulties a bit more, I think that is a is going to be a what people jump on straight away, that idea. Yeah. Because I, I thought about it this watch when... This is the first time I've watched it and made notes. So I did think that this time. I was like, oh, people are going to think he's, he's dyslexic. I mean, obviously we get revealed later that he just had an issue of like public speaking, which, yeah. you know, that's fair. Who, yeah, who a lot of people just want to speak on a public platform for millions of people to potentially view. <laughs> yeah, who would do yeah. such a thing? Who would who would put themselves out there to such a degree for criticism and you know not worry about a lot of people potentially hearing their voice and questioning what they say? <laughs> Neil says he should come anyway and just listen. The boys agree, and they're kind of like they're planning their route by night. The boys go into their rooms and they're all like pajamaed up, ready to go. But what they do is the second they get in there, put their coats on, and then Neil realizes that Keating has left a book on his desk and he opens it and it's signed 1942. I weren't that far off then, actually. <laughs> again. And there's a passage that's to be read at the, be end, the beginning of every Dead Poet Society meeting. That passage isn't actually. Um, I've got it written down in a sec, sorry, what, which poet it's uh, attributed to. But it's actually not one poem. It's pieces of his work put together oh, nice. to make an intro. That's really cool. <laughs> the boys make their escape. They give the guard dog a treat to keep him quiet. Classic. And they find the cave and try to light a fire. It doesn't go well. No. But they do officially reconvene the Dead Poet Society. And they read the opening passage... Well, Neil does. It's by Henry David Thoreau. That's who the poet is. They've all bought snacks and they start to share them. One of them's already eaten half his snacks and they're like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> we come back later and they're not reading a poem. They're actually, Neil's telling a ghost story. Then one of the other boys tries to tell a ghost story. And they're like, oh, shut up. We've heard that one. You know, that's, that's an old one. So Charlie stands up and reads this poem that he, I think he proclaims in here that he is written by himself. Actually, it isn't. In the notes, it tells me who it's written by all. We'll get to the end, and I think I'm pretty sure I wrote it down. And he's actually, was he written it on the back of, Tim? The back of a Playboy. <laughs> yeah, it's a nudie poster, and he unravels <laughs> it, and he reads his poem off the back of it while they're all staring at 
a topless woman classic <laughs> teenage boys and later on another boy does a poem that actually turns out to be quite musical and they leave the cave singing and this kind of concludes the first meeting now in the INUB note section it tells you what this poem is and it doesn't have a nice title so if you want to go look it up look it up <laughs> if you don't don't bother no I don't think I will <laughs> <laughs> they will sneak back into the school back in Keating's lessons he's encouraging them to use better language as opposed to saying something is very this or you know overly that he's kind of use a better word he, he even says here this is a bit that hasn't aged well. He actually says language was created to woo women. Yeah. <laughs> Where, you know, it's, it's very of its time. It's kind of very of the 80s. And also, weirdly, of the 50s as well. But, yeah, he, he's encouraged... And again, what a better way to encourage teenage boys to kind of expand their vocabulary <laughs> than to tell them they're going to pull. You will get laid. <laughs> Keating tells them they're going to learn about Shakespeare and they all get a bit like, oh, fucking Shakespeare. And he's like, ah, you only don't like it because you only heard it in a stuffy, basic way. And then he does some of it in a John Wayne impression. So this is like a really good way to incorporate um, his impersonation skills. Yeah. He, uh, there was... I read a note somewhere. Something he had allowed for like kind of... It's a very serious script, but he had allowed for something like 10% variation on like Robin riffing but there is kind of a mistake here because he does john wayne which is fine in 1959 but he also does marlon brando who was acting but he kind of does the godfather yeah he does the godfather impression which is obviously from the 70s so it's kind of out of out of whack so brando was a famous actor by 59 but he wasn't doing the the godfather obviously why would he (laughs) keating stands on his desk and he goes i stand up here because this gives me a different view and sometimes that's what you need when you're looking at art you need a different view and he encourages the boys to get up on their desk he says that this is what they should be how they should be thinking when they're reading not just what the intent was so like the intent of a classroom is to be sat at a desk and you see it from that angle it's not intended for you to be up high looking down on it and you should do the same when you're reading poetry or a book Think of the intent of the author, but also think of what your own interpretation is. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I get that. I like the idea, again, f- free thinking, critical thinking. Just, just, I still, it's madness that there's an, an 89 movie that made this such a point about the education system that they don't teach critical thinking. Yeah. And, it's, and they, still, they don't. still don't. 20, uh, 25, I wish, 35 years later. <laughs> They they still don't. Yeah. Keating sets them some homework. It's the first time we hear him say that. And it's to write a poem that they're going to have to read in front of the whole class. And as he leaves, he points at Todd and says, I know you're scared. <laughs> <laughs> Dick move. Did you ever have to do anything like this at school? Oh, all the time. Oh, yeah, bloody I'd, time. It's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, from 15 or so, I remember going on stages with a guitar and singing and playing. And I was fine with that. But if someone asked me to do it on my own and read a piece of work that I'd written, I'd probably be like, uh, uh. I, so like as someone who's also performed on stage, I get less anxious about that. I'm more anxious about asking a, a question in a public place. Like if I'm like at a panel or whatever, and I raise my hand, I get more scared about that. 
it's a madness like the way your brain works yeah so I, I i played a fair few times in pubs and clubs and everything and i i by the time the last time i played which was about 2019 i think last time but i wasn't worried about going on stage at all ever yeah <laughs> but like you said like anything like that in front of even a smaller group is much harder yeah it's so strange all the boys are doing kind of a sport and a couple of them have managed to build a radio and they kind of dance to it. It's kind of a nice world-building part of this school, yeah. like seeing them do all their little activities. Todd is in his room trying to write a poem when Neil bursts in and says he's going to try out for a play. Which play is he trying out for, Tim? A Midsummer's Night Dream. <laughs> Midsummer Night's Dream is a Shakespeare play, which is a play that actually some people in my sick form put on. I never went and saw it. I know a couple of people who are in the leads though, and I kind of feel guilty about that. I did a performance of it in year three, actually. Year three. Jeez, I know, I'm sure the, I know. I'm sure the quality was high. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you've never <laughs> seen a better um, version of it. We did in year six, like in my primary school, everyone did like a Leavers play. And we did Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. We did Peter Pan. Oh, nice. Yeah, I know the year under me, because my friend was in that year, they did... Shop, little shop of horrors oh, and my wow. brother did Greece. yeah uh, we i felt like we got the short end of the straw with joseph but <laughs> fine i still don't rate it <laughs> <laughs> neil now wants to be an actor and well fuck his dad <laughs> not no he doesn't want to no, fuck no, his dad, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> and like f you dad i'm gonna be an actor <laughs> he's just not gonna let him find out apparently can I just say, I from this moment on, I could have stopped seeing Todd and Neil as a couple. We'll talk about that at the end. <laughs> Neil says to to Todd that Keating's words don't actually mean enough to him and that he's not, you know, feeling the inspiration he should do. And then they start to to kind of play fight and chase each other around the room. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't and then help. Some, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Overstreet rides out of the school on a bike. He kind of sneaks out and runs, looking over his shoulder the whole time. He's got a sweater tied around his shoulders, like a fucking preppy asshole. He's clearly going to go and try and see Chris. He's fucking spying he, on her. <laughs> yeah, she's like cheerleading at a regular high school. And then you see her with her boyfriend, Chet. They share a little moment and Overstreet's like, oh, for fuck's sake. Keaton takes the boys out to kind of play sport and he asks why why sport is a thing and he he says it's kind of to push each other to push each other to be better and they take it in turns to read presumably poetry lines but they might also be i don't know there might be literary lines as well yeah just smash a football as hard as they can and i was surprised to see it be like an actual like soccer quote-unquote ball than an american football being it's an american school and stuff yeah but if they're learning latin they'll see they'll learn to play soccer yeah yeah more <laughs> traditional sport, more civilized <laughs> Sort of. You ever <laughs> seen the fans? <laughs> you ever been to a a top league football game, Tim? Nope. Oh, maybe I'll have to take you one day. <laughs> take you to sell, sell, Take you to Sellers Park. Yeah, I mean, football's an experience that we should all share. You're sure you can do a little review of it one time? <laughs> <laughs> Neil gets the part of Puck in a Midsummer's Night Stream, and Puck yeah. is one of the lead roles. He's like the lead fairy. Yes. But he needs a permission letter from his dad and the headmaster. And what does he do to him? He forges a letter of permission. Just types it out himself. Good lad. <laughs> yeah. Because if, you know, 
You might think, well, oh, shaky, but then you meet his dad earlier and his dad's a complete fucking arsehole. Oh, so. a complete dick. Todd paces their room, kind of practising his poem. We cut to the next day in class. He's clearly panicking about reading this poem aloud. And Overstreet is reading his poem and it's literally called, like, I Love Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then as he, finish- as he finishes, he's like, oh, it's fucking stupid. And... Keating says, no, it's not. Like, most of poetry is about love. So, no, no, it's not. The next boy just says, the cat sat on the mat. And he looks at Keating, and he's clearly trying to rile him up. Yeah. But Keating d- doesn't care. He says, like, I actually like it, just don't let it be ordinary. Yeah. <laughs> and he looks a little, like, he looks defeated that his little, his little prank didn't work. Like, damn it, he is a mad... <laughs> Keating asks Todd to come up and read. He says he hasn't done the work. We know that's a lie, Todd. Yeah. Come on, Ethan. <laughs> Keating writes out a Walt Whitman line on the board. Writes yorping in capital letters at the end. And yeah. he asks Todd to say yorp. And yorping is just like a, a bellow, like from your chest. And he doesn't do it. He takes a minute to warm up and he kind of finally does it. Before Keating does this exercise with him where... He asks him to describe Whitman and then kind of grabs his head and kind of puts his, like, kind of covers his eyes up and gives him all these kind of key words and spark words. And then he starts to ad lib a poem. You see, that's how the camera's like spinning around them as well. It's such like well done cinematography there. As you mentioned in the last episode, it's a lot like, weirdly, Puss in Boots or The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, where they use an effect to portray a physical or mental state. Very clever. The poem seems to be about being able to be yourself. Yeah. Keating also appears, like, we get, like, a montage, because everybody needs a montage. Keating appears to be also coaching them to play soccer as well i don't know if there's an official team i was gonna say there's a bit at the end where like todd improvises the poem and everyone looks the shot of neil's face if you look in that boy's eyes you see love do you see see love and lust (laughs) yeah you see like i am happy for my boy and i'm gonna show him (laughs) that later the boys are meeting again in the cave and they're all smoking pipes this time. This time they go in the daytime, so there's like a hole in the roof and it's daylight kind of coming in and it looks a bit better. One of the boys really can't handle the pipe. No. In my head, it's not tobacco. In my head, it's weed. I don't know why. It just <laughs> makes, more, makes more sense for the activity they're doing. Yeah. Dalton has bought... So that's Charlie, Dalton. Yeah. Has bought a saxophone with him. And at first he's like playing really badly and he performs this beat poem sort of... And then towards the end of it, he just starts playing the, the saxophone well. Yeah. And all the boys are like, whoa. And he says, uh, mum made me play clarinet. <laughs> <laughs> Transferable skills. Yeah. And then we get the most teenage line in this entire film. Overstreet says, if I can't have Chris, I'm going to kill myself. Which is so <laughs> dramatic. It's so hormonal. It's such a teenage thing to say and do. Yeah. So he goes to call her, but all the boys follow and they're listening and he completely bottles it when she first answers. Yeah. He calls again, this time actually speaks to her. And she's like, oh, uh, yeah, okay, got disconnected, whatever. And she invites him to a party. And did you see what he did as he as he walks away from the phone? Want to he see- did the Max Power scarf flick. Oh, of course he did. So he's got <laughs> a scarf on. And anyone who's seen the Max Power episode of The Simpsons... 
He uh, he gives us a that's, that's the, the end, end of, of that chapter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Throws the scarf over his around his shoulder and swaggers out. Of course he did. <laughs> Keaton is holding. I sometimes you know, this has inspired so many bits. I think it's you go back. I'm sure there's a, probably a YouTube video about it, but I'm sure it's more than one bit of Simpsons jokes or episodes have been inspired by this. Oh, don't, absolutely. Don't be surprised if that's one of them. But the they they've definitely done. Oh, Captain, my captain. Keating holds his class outside and gets some of the boys marching. And all of eventually, eventually they all kind of fall into beat and the boy, the yeah. other boys start clapping. He points out that because they're part of a group, they tend to conform. And he said, but you should walk as who you are. He kind of does all these walks. And he says, and this is how Overstreet walks. And he looks at him and he leads with his crotch, which is really <laughs> good little joke there. Because it's not Especially wrong. He's well. like, yeah, he's clearly been the horniest one so far. Keating gets them all to try to walk uniquely. Dalton exercises his right not to walk. And Keating says, you're illustrating my point. Good work. <laughs> uh, we cut to Todd's birthday. His parents sent him a death set, and it's the same one they sent last year. I've heard, weirdly, this year at Christmas, I heard a couple of stories from kind of acquaintances and people I know about bad and unthoughtful presents from people. Yeah. And how it shows like a lack of care. And this Link's is a real set. Oh yeah, yeah. I know a few people who are shower set people. Neil immediately tries to lighten the mood with Todd, and says, "Oh, this this desk looks aerodynamic. It wants to fly," and he fucking launches it into. I think it's meant to be like the lake next to the yeah. uh, next to the see, school. See, my my big note in this is in all caps. It's just kiss him, Neil. <laughs> so this is the first time they're left to their own. Like, for an extended scene, they're left on their own. Yeah. So it's the first time you get a start-to-finish scene with just the two of them. Yeah. Because before, they've had moments, and then other people have burst in. So even with, like I said, when they were play-fighting earlier, the other boys do burst in at the end and join in. This is the first time you see them alone for any extended period. Uh, they're holding another meeting, and Dalton has decided to bring two girls, Gloria and Gina. Kind of... He's a teenage boy, so he's going to do shit like this. Kind of invalidating the entire ethos of the club, though. Yeah. But then also using the skills that he apparently taught him. I don't know. Dalton says he's actually living up to the spirit of the society and wants to call himself Nuwanda now, which is apparently like a Native American name. Seems a little racist to me, to try yeah. or at least cultural appropriation. Uh, yeah. But he says he wants to be a free spirit. Definitely in 59 and almost certainly in 89. Yeah. Cultural appropriation. Just, yeah, go with it. Fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm surprised he didn't do blackface. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think the film would be what it is if he had. <laughs> no. Overstreet goes to the party and Chris is paying him no attention. Yeah. And the football team start giving him grief. They say he's someone's brother. He's like, I'm not. And then he's like, take a shot so-and-so's brother he's like no it's not me he's like and how is he and just, yeah. he's just like yeah he's fine yeah, fine yeah, he, he gets to feed up yeah he's fine uh, back back at the meeting dalton is quoting shakespeare and trying to impress the girls saying that he wrote the quote which is really funny he then says to the other girl he's like i'll write something for you and it's clearly another poem i don't know the poem but yeah he's... overstreet is drunk and kind of stumbles around the party 
and there's all people making out and he kind of flops backwards on the sofa and then this couple are kind of kissing and they nearly fall on him yeah and then he kind of looks like he looks like he's about to just try and to go to sleep because some people are like asleep on the floor classic teenage party and then he realizes the person who's fallen asleep on the sofa next to him is chris it's chris yeah he says carpe diem and does something fucking creepy so this was seen as romantic i think and probably would have been seen generally as romantic in the 80s he kind of strokes her hair and kisses her forehead yeah now i'm really glad he didn't kiss her on the mouth yeah otherwise or it anything weird much worse yeah that's gone from questionable to full-on assault if you did that yeah but he kisses her on the he forehead. gets punches for it he gets punched for it <laughs> it's as creepy as sleeping beauty which is fucking creepy yeah when this film was released i think this would have been seen as romantic but it's just fucking weird. Nah, yeah, it's disgusting to be honest. Kind of like it, kind of like now in the modern lens makes him look really bad. Yeah. So he gets uh, he gets beaten up by Chris's boyfriend Chet, punched in the face, told if he ever sees him again, he's going to kill him. Chris kind of stops the assault. <laughs> yeah, dead, dead creepy. But he had it coming. He had it coming. Oh, yeah, he had he the had punch coming. The boys are in the cave. It's all gone a bit quiet and awkward. And Dalton's the only one doing any talking. Yeah. He tells them that he slipped something in the newsletter and signed it in the name of the Dead Poet Society. He's demanding that girls be admitted to the school. Now, it sounds like a noble cause, you know, equal opportunity. You know, but he that's just not wants why. to be a creep. He yeah. just wants to be a creep. And the others aren't happy that he signed it from the Dead Poets Society because now the school might find out, you know, that they've reinstated it. So I skipped, kind of brushed over this earlier, but Keating does say that the Dead Poets Society wasn't looked on favourably by the school. No. no. Free thinking. There yeah. Is, yeah, exactly. Again, free thinking, critical thinking. There is an assembly held that condemns the article. And he says anyone who avoids up or grasses someone else up can avoid expulsion. And Dalton does one of the funniest things in this. What does he do to him? He has a phone and he goes, ring, 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 ring. It's like, basically, it's from God. Yeah, he stands up and he answers this phone that he somehow got in his hand. It says, it's from God. He says you should let girls into Welton. He's taken straight to the head office and he gets a paddling. <laughs> that's a person. Now, there's a few things that's mad about this to me. One, it's mad that corporal punishment used to be used in schools. Two, he's 17 yeah like in today's day and age that's a young adult he's old enough to drive you know it's a madness and it's quite brutal and the other thing that's madness about this to me is it's a private school his parents are paying for him to go there it's not like it's a state institution where this is like how you correct people his parents are paying for him to go there and it still happens it's a madness it's ridiculous he tries the head tries to make Dalton give up the society and you kind of get this moment where he looks like he's going to. He looks a bit chagrined as he counts along with the paddling. And as he goes back to the dorms, they ask what happened. And Thornton says, oh, well, you know, they want me to apologize in front of the school and turn everyone in. And he looks, he kind of looks dejected that he turns around over his shoulder and has the cockiest grin on his face. It's like, hey, I ain't fucking doing that. Fuck yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> the head comes to Mr. Nolan is the head comes to question Keating about his teachings and he wants them he wants Keating to teach the normal curriculum 
with discipline and not to think for themselves. Bastards. Yeah. Dalton is now telling the boys about the paddling and Keaton comes in to kind of rein Dalton in and kind of ruin his parade. He tells him he was stupid for pushing it too far and that he needs to kind of keep his head above all that and be kind of clever about it. Yeah. Dalton says, all right, Captain. (laughs) As Keaton leaves, he turns around and says, if you'd have said it's from God, but he's calling collect, I would have respected it. (laughs) So funny. Because then it's obviously charging back to the person you're calling as well. Yeah. And Neil arrives for his first Midsummer Night's Dream rehearsal. He looks happy. And then we kind of cut straight back to him coming back to the dorm and his dad's already there. And he knows about the acting. It feels like there's been like a, maybe a week or so skipped over here. Yeah. It, I don't feel like that's the first rehearsal and then dad's back. Like dad knows straight away. I feel like for this to have got to his dad the way he says it does in a minute, it feels like it needs to have been at least kind of a week's worth of rehearsals or something. Yeah, because when he tells them, oh, you need to stop doing the play, it's like, well, the performance is next week. Yeah. No, it's, it's the performance is tomorrow. Oh yeah, tomorrow. So it's like, well, then he's clearly been rehearsed for a long time. It can't be like a day rehearsal. Yeah. So and apparently, one of the one of the uh, girls at the uh, who's in the play told her mum, "Oh, I'm in a play with Neil, and they're friends with you know your friends with his dad." So he, he got grassed up essentially. Yeah. Neil's dad tries to blame Keating, and Neil's like, mm, "No, <laughs> no, no." His no, dad's no. yeah. His dad says he has to quit, but it's tomorrow, and. At this point, when you're that dad, just even logically speaking, and I know you're thinking, you might as well just go, well, it's as good as done now. Yeah. Do the performance. Don't, like, if you're even if you're being harsh, do the performance, don't ever fucking act again. Yeah, exactly. Like, fine, finish it. Get it out of your system. Don't act anymore after that. But no, he tries to stop him doing it. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> uh, Keating is in his little office and he's writing and there's a photo of a woman kind of looking at it longingly a bit Neil Noxon comes in he gets told the lady in the picture is in London which is where yes. Keating was teaching but he wanted to come back you know he loves teaching he wanted to come back to his old school to make a difference etc etc Neil tells Keating about his dad says you know acting is his life which is also such a teenage thing to do you've been even yeah. if this full rehearsal has been going a month you've been doing it a month like it's not your life there are no. people who you know, take up guitar at 13 and by 18 they're saying, you know, music is my life. I can kind of see that, fine. But like a month into your first acting, no, no, yeah. no, no. So teenage. <laughs> but it's not, I wouldn't say that's like an unrealistic line. He's a teenager, it's what they would say. Yeah, exactly. Just teenagers are fucking stupid. No offence to any teenagers listening. Your priorities <laughs> are all backwards and you think everything's really dramatic and it isn't. You'll you, 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 you learn, you'll learn. <laughs> Neil, we should find out Neil tells Keating that he's from a poor background. So his dad's from a working class background as well. And the reason he's trying to control his future is like, well, I want him to be successful, which you kind of understand, but at the same time, no. (laughs) No, not this way. Keating convinces Neil that he needs to show his dad the passion that he has for acting. And, you know, in a year you'll be free anyway from school. You kind of do what you want. No one can stop you after that. You'll be 18. But Neil says he's trapped. Hopefully Street runs out of the school again. Fucking just doesn't like being there, does he? No. Jumps on a bike and goes straight to Chris's school. And he finds her in the, the hallway and she just looks fucking embarrassed. She doesn't seem interested and he's being a bit creepy. He's got poems and flowers. It's all a bit Stanley Ipkiss. 
He's trying yeah. to wear her down. <laughs> It'll work, I swear. So she tells her to bugger off and she goes into her class. He just follows her in and starts reading. He's poem poem about her. She just ducks and cringes and is like, and then it's it's a madness. I can't this feels like such a movie thing. And I can't imagine anyone's ever done this in real life. Yeah, I mean, I hope Maybe not. Americans are taught to be more in touch. Like, as we're quite, especially as teenagers, we're quite uptight. We're quite protective. We always think that people are going to take the piss. I feel like Americans aren't as kind of held back by that. So maybe this kind of thing would happen in America, but it definitely wouldn't happen here. You might get a text as a poem. That's about as far as anyone. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Or someone maybe nowadays what kids do, like Snapchat reciting a poem straight down the lens of their phone. <laughs> Overstreet sneaks back into the school and he goes through the kitchen, which he's obviously kind of got a, a relationship with the kitchen workers. He takes he nicks a bit of toast on his way through as well, so he's clearly gone first thing in the morning. She he tells the boys the story, he said she didn't say anything, but at least he did it. You know, seize yeah. the day. Neil is speaking to Keating and says he spoke to his dad and his dad isn't happy, but he's gonna let him do the play. And then maybe let him keep acting if he keeps up his schoolwork. That would have been a nice conversation to see, I think. Yeah. It's one of the few times I've gone... Because the bit where I say, oh, we skipped over a, you know, a week or a month, fine. It's unnecessary detail. Yeah. This would have been a nice conversation to see. to see. Yeah. Yeah. All the boys dressed up in their formals. <laughs> Dalton comes in with like a lightning pace, uh, lightning yeah. bolt pasted on his chest. And he says it's a Native American virility symbol. He's like, okay, excellent news. Chris shows up at the school, and this is the f- you have to remember what I forgot at this point is it's the first time the other boys are seeing her. Yeah, and they don't see a lot of girls around, and they all just fucking stare. They gawk. So, yeah, Chris says Overstreet made a fool, and you know he needs to stop because Chet will kill him. Yeah, Keating is in his car. He's driving all the boys to the play. Overstreet says he'll walk. And finish his combo with Chris. And at this point, it's actually snowing. It's just sheets of white everywhere. Chris, oh uh, yeah, I just I just looked at my next note and I was like, oh, I forgot about this bit. So Keating drives off with the others, and then Chris and Overstreet are talking, and she says, "My least fucking favorite Americanism here." Well, she says, "I could care less," which is stupid. It's I couldn't. If you could care less, it implies you care. Couldn't, if you say, I couldn't care less, it implies you don't care. It's so stupid. Exactly. You got and it. Ha- <laughs> and I, I thought it was a more modern thing. I thought that they had taken our phrase of, I couldn't care less, and it had like bastardised in maybe the last 20 years. No, no, this is 35 years ago, and they're s- saying it. I love America. I visit America on a regular basis. Most of my favourite entertainment is American. But that phrase irritates me because just say it to yourself. It doesn't make sense. Exactly. And rant over. (laughs) (laughs) Overstreet points out that Chris must care because she came over to warn him again about Chet. Overstreet says, they should go to the play together because she's going to go. She says, oh, Chet wouldn't go to a play. She starts to warm up to him a bit. She says, well, if you don't like me by the end of the night, I'll leave you alone forever. Which is a uh, weird... Down. Uh, yeah, weird and a bit pushy, but, you know, he gets what he wants. Which is a horrible phrasing, but, you know, it is, it's, it's what's happened. It's exactly what happens. Overstreet 
claims that he will leave her alone and he claims it on dead poet's honour and she's like what the hell's that he's like ah it's my word and then all of a sudden she starts to look a bit smitten with him he's a bit <laughs> weird and a bit coy and then she calls him infuriating but there's that play, like playful kind of tap on the arm and stuff he's yeah. like okay okay she's coming around to him everyone is at the play and they all think Neil's great apart from Overstreet who's just staring at Chris the whole time <laughs> it's a Neil show he cares his... more about yeah Neil's kind of waiting in the wings and he sees his friends and they're all smiling and enjoying the play and he smiles and then he sees his dad kind of come in and is at the back and he's all of a sudden nervous and he actually has to be nudged to be like oh you're, you're time to go back on Overstreet goes to hold Chris's hands and what does she do she holds it back oh uh, yeah yeah he's worn her down yeah he's Stanley Ipkiss this real good <laughs> Neil delivers Puck's final monologue but he does it right at his dad like yeah right right down the barrel of the camera in terms of the shot but it's obviously you kind of get the flip the reverse shot and you see that he's doing it directly at his dad the audience give him a fucking standing O mate he gets a full on standing ovation yeah. and you know he was pretty good he was pretty good especially yeah. for a 17 year old yeah for a first performance as well yeah Neil's dad tells some random, I think it's a teacher, that he needs to see. So, oh, there's a thing that they don't mention that I think I kind of had to pick up myself, which is that this play is at Chris's high school. So he's oh, okay. gone to the regular high school to do a play. Fair enough. I don't know how that works, but yeah. So Neil comes out after his dad requests for him to come out, and Keating tells Neil that he has a gift. And then his dad tells Keating to stay away from Neil the other boys are all like oh but Neil's amazing Mr. Keaton's amazing and Neil's dad is just like no fuck off gets Neil in the car and they go home at this point I was like this is where you I realised Neil's dad here and Red in that 70s show are the same character except Red is funny (laughs) but their intentions are the exact same Neil's dad says he's removing him from Welton and sending him to military school which is always like it felt like that that's a trope in movies that seems to have died in about 96 yeah like there's a teenager in a movie it happened in Bill and Ted as well you know they pl- they act up you're going to military school and then they have to do some Simpsons as well yeah and Lisa volunteers to go yeah, yeah. Neil says you're going to military school then you're going to go to Harvard you're going to be a doctor Neil goes to stand up to him and goes that's going to take 10 years that's nearly a lifetime and it's at this point he's like why well, do you just want to see your kid that unhappy he looks so yeah. unhappy and this is where I think Leonard does a really great job as an actor because he portrays that misery so hard oh yeah really well then the mum just sit back and watches because it doesn't say anything Neil is in his room and he gets shirtless for no reason although I think there's a reason in a second which is that he puts on so as Puck he was wearing this kind of branch crown not quite a thorn crown yeah a bit like a thorn crown and he puts it on his head and it's very Jesus imagery (laughs) yeah so he's topless and he's wearing like a natural crown yeah Neil gets a key and opens a drawer and gets a gun presumably it's his dad's I love this scene I love this bit because we don't hear a bang yeah just kind of a flash and then you see Neil's dad waking up and he wakes up to a noise and you're like wait was there a so it leaves you ambiguous just for a moment yeah about what that noise was the noise could have you know been creeping down the stairs or whatever and the weirdest thing about this scene is that Neil's parents are sleeping with the curtains open. I know. Fucking weird. You know, the song's going to... Po- or 
the daylight. It's, it's middle of winter, but the, the daylight's going to pour in there, and you're going to get woken up. No, 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 no. <laughs> they go look him, and Neil isn't in his room, and he finds Neil in his study, and Neil has died by suicide. Yeah, he has taken his own life because his dad is an overbearing asshole. Yeah, it's such a powerful scene. Did you expect that to be the way this was going to go? No, it actually genuinely to be. It's quite a dark scene to what is mostly a quite jovial film. So do you want to hear the note I wrote about this? Yeah, please. Am I really cry- crying over a fucking twink? <laughs> uh, you know, it takes one to know one, doesn't it, Timothy? <laughs> Because, like, Neil's, like, probably the, the best character in the movie. I'd find, like, he's the most, yeah. like, down-to-earth, relatable one. So just to see, like, how much, like, he got put down to a point he has to felt like that was the only option. It's so tragic. It's a horrible, tragic scene. And you can see when he says, the uh, that's 10 years, that's forever, that's a lifetime, that he, he feels stuck. And he yeah. felt, he said to Keating in an earlier scene that he felt trapped when he had one year left. Yeah. So 10, he's obviously like, that's unfathomable to him. Yeah. And it is, it is when you're 17. 10 years is over half your life already. It's in like an unfathomable amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. Now, just a random question, Tim. Is this the first thing you've watched for this podcast that's made you cry? Yeah. <laughs> 34 episodes in, and I, I did it. Found something. <laughs> Tipped you over that edge. No, I, I do... It's a horrible... It's a dark scene, but I do love how well it's done. Yeah, I, I think that's the bit like... Like, oh, no, it's so sad. But wow, so sh- shot so well. Shot beautifully. You don't even hear a gunshot, and it leaves you in that ambiguity... Like, yeah. in, in ambiguity for about 10 seconds, 15 seconds. So... So Charlie waits Todd up, yeah. Yeah. Go on, do you, do you can say, yeah, go on, hey, go yeah, Charlie it. wakes Todd off and Charlie's just there already in tears and, well, they tell him that, you know, he's dead, that Neil's dead. So they all go outside, like, Todd's just, like, out there by himself, just walking ahead, walking ahead, walking ahead, like, in the greenery area, just out covered in snow. And he just drops and, like, goes, like, no, he couldn't have been him. Like, he's crying down, breaking down, going, oh, it couldn't He says have been. it's his dad's fault. Yeah. As his dad was like, like, he wouldn't have killed himself. Like, no, no, no. And then he just runs into the field screaming. So, do you want a little fact about this scene and then the kind of prior snowy scene? Sure. The snow is real. Jesus. It was coincidentally started snowing. We thought it would be a really great use of the, the natural yeah, kind of weather. So, so well. you get the romantic scene or attempt at a romantic scene in the scene before where they're stood in the snow. And then you get this, like, heartbreak. And as they decided to do... So they'd done the other scene in the snow, and then they went, let's do this scene in the snow as well. Ethan Hawke... They, so Weir says to Ethan Hawke, the snow is starting to stop. He didn't just want the snow on the ground. He wanted the snow still falling. The snow is starting to stop. I think you've got one take. Jesus. And guess what he did? He did the one take. One take, and he fucking smashed it. Let's go, Ethan Hawke. <laughs> I think people underestimate how good of an actor he is. Yeah, I mean, that, that scene alone, I mean, he's, I don't think he's 17 then, but he's probably close to it. Probably yeah. only, what, 20, 21, maybe. 
it can't be any older than that really i don't think and he just smashes that scene really emotional really kind of guttural scene one yeah. take in the freezing snow in his pajamas smashes it yeah keating finds the book that he gave neil and it's in it's in neil's desk in the english classroom and he has he breaks down for a moment and has a cry reading the first page where the handwritten opening yeah. line to all the dead poets society meetings is the school obviously hold a service and that ends with saying we're going to hold an inquest because his dad's asked us to why are you asking to it was your fucking fault you prick yeah but he's still not getting such responsibility no the boys have a meeting and they're kind of hiding in a it looks like an attic and Cameron who is a character that we've seen in little bits his surname's Cameron and yeah. he's kind of the red headed boy you don't see much of him. He kind of has these occasional lines here. He's really not... Up. Until this point, he is not relevant to the story at no. all. But he is part of the Dead Poets Society. He's one of the... Kind of the six or seven of them, but there's kind of four yeah. main characters, five main characters. They all think Cameron is narking, and he shows up, and they all just accuse him straight away. He goes straight into the line of like, oh, it's the school's honour code. If you ask something by a teacher, you have to tell the truth. Yeah. Oh, you're a fucking arsehole. Did you see what Dalton did earlier? He took a fucking paddling and stuck his middle finger up at them. Now, fuck you. Fuck you, Cameron, you son of a bitch. (laughs) They're obviously... The school are trying to pull it on Keating, and so is Neil's dad. The boys obviously don't agree that Keating is responsible, but Cameron says he's just going to let Keating fry so they can just continue their education and not get thrown out of the school. Yeah. And Dalton, despite all his faults, you know, being a bit creepy, bringing girls in, trying to uh, culture, culturally appropriate a Native American name. Fucking just punches Cameron in the face and puts him on his ass. Yeah, Excellent good work. job. Good job, Cameron. <laughs> and then good job, Tali. Yeah. Yeah, none of this is Keaton's fault. He didn't He didn't even tell them to start the club. He just told them what the club was. He didn't even, but he just inc- he didn't even tell Neil to do acting. Neil said he's doing it anyway. Yeah, nothing to do with Keaton. He just said that you should think for yourself, which is... A fair point. So what? Uh, yeah. You know, like, the school's and his dad's approach is just do what every adult tells you. Yeah. No, fuck off. Overstreet gets called in to talk to the head. Kind of gives Todd a weak thumbs up on his way past him. Turns out Dalton's now been expelled, which I'm assuming, <laughs> I'm assuming, when they asked what happened, he just gave them the middle thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fuck you. You try paddling him again, it's like, no. Yeah, yeah, go on, spank me. I'll fucking give you more middle finger. Yeah, he's... He goes from being, like, the most annoying character to the one who gets it the most. He's like, yeah. yeah. He's going to be in his 60s rocking out to... Uh, the character this is, obviously, from 59. He's going to be in his 60s rocking out to Rage Against the Machine, you know. Oh, yeah. Come the 90s. You know, he's, he's, he's well up for that. Fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Todd gets called in and his parents are waiting in the head's office... Nolan, who's the head, tries to put everything on Keating, says that Keating's the one who tried to push him into pursuing acting and it was against Neil's parents' wishes and it's led to Neil's death, which is obviously total bollocks. Yeah, completely wrong. He hands them a thing that's signed by some of the other boys saying that they agree with the story. And I was like, Todd, don't sign it. Don't sign it, even though the others have. Fuck them. Keating is in his dorm room 
or you know his teacher's quarters whatever you want to call it and he looks out the window and there's the teacher that he speaks to at the beginning of the film McAllister is outside now having a walk with the students teaching them Latin rather than just bellowing it at them yeah. and obviously that means he's picked up a little something from Keating and he waves up at him like kind of sadly Nolan is now teaching Keating's class we do hear actually when he speaks to Keating earlier that he was the English teacher like 40 years ago or something and yeah, he just preferred being a headmaster <laughs> It's boring straight away. The boys all look dejected. Keating comes to collect his personal belongings. Great timing because, you know, Just this is the age group of the boys that you kind of, uh, you know, that have been, you know, the death of their friend has been put on you. Yeah. Nolan tells Todd to read <laughs> the intro, but it's obviously the page that Keating's made them rip out. Yeah. <laughs> Todd looks like he wants to say Keating kind of brushes past Todd on his way out and he looks like he wants to say something to him and he kind of does it he holds it and then what does he do to him he he just does the oh captain wait no he does oh captain my captain so if you're not watching on YouTube <laughs> Tim just stood on his chair but Todd stands on his desk and bellows oh captain my captain and then and the rest of the Dead Poet Society all join in unison while going on their desks. And then the rest of the class joins as well, apart from Cameron, because fuck you, Cameron. So it's not every boy in the class, but it's about 70%. Some of which aren't even in the Dead Poet Society. The boy who was like the cat on the mat, he stands up and does it. Cameron doesn't, as you pointed out. Is that fucking fraud? Ke- Keying is... You know, as he's about to leave, kind of turns back, and Nolan is berating all these boys, and they still more and more. All he says is "thank you," and then leaves the classroom, and we cut to black, and that is the end of the movie. So good, man. <laughs> so so good. a little note about that last scene: Cameron was supposed to stand on his desk. I'm glad even he though, didn't. Even though he didn't. And Dylan Cussman, who plays him, said to Weir, he went, he won't do that. That doesn't make any sense. He's thrown Keating under the bus. He's been punched by another member of the society for doing so. He probably feels guilty about doing it. He just keeps his head down. And Weir went, no, you're right. I'm glad. I'm so glad good work, he, Dylan Cussman. Yeah, I'm glad he... So, Tim, oh, Captain, my captain, what did you think of... It was fantastic. <laughs> I I was very apprehensive um, when starting it, to be honest. I was like, oh, no, it's about, about a bunch of like, preppy school boys. Like, why am I going to care about them? But then, you know, for like the first hour and a half, it's a really nice, fun movie. Then the last half hour happens, and... Yeah, it's a little intense, right? It, it gets intense, like, almost out of nowhere. But, like, you know, it's been bubbling like, under the surface the entire time. And then it just it just changes and it just becomes an amazing film. Like, at the end, I feel like that change into, like, a massive, like, dramatic end is just so incredible. And it's, like, a nice bittersweet ending. Yeah, it's such... Yeah, it's... Can you see... One, do you like that I named... Our podcast after this. I Tim. do, I do. I, I, I am a fan now. <laughs> <laughs> Do 
Can you see why the actual club itself within the movie, I was like, this will, this will kind of suit the name of this podcast. Uh, absolutely, because, you know, um, our words are like honey when we talk about the media <laughs> we, we on the podcast, you know. <laughs> I more meant that we discuss art, <laughs> art forms, you know. But there, there yeah, is that take aspect. It, take it whatever way you want. Robin Williams took the role because he really want he like he read it and thought I'd have loved a teacher like him. Yeah. And you can see someone like Robin Williams why that kind of need for free th- free thinking would have been important. Yeah, absolutely, to him. yeah. <laughs> Another little tidbit for you. The film was shot chronologically. That's impressive. <laughs> so, it was to help the young actors with their character growth. That makes sense. And after Neil dies Robert Sean Leonard was kept off of set wow so the others could feel like they'd actually so they'd all you know over a few months filming become friends and then that gets taken away from them one of their friends gets taken away I mean it also makes sense so you don't have to spend money on having this person you don't need anymore I oh to be honest, they were he was probably paid as a whole, right? He probably wasn't paid on an hourly wage. Yeah, but I mean also then like catering and stuff like that, you don't have to factor in another yeah. person for logistics sake. Well, according to Weir, it was to make the others feel like he had actually gone. To I evoke. mean, that that works in that sense as well. Yeah. Partially based on Tom Shulman's own prep school experience, and there was a real teacher that actually kind of thought like Keating. Oh wow. There was apparently and even some of it had got as far as to some writing going to be a sequel uh, where Todd becomes a teacher Todd's revenge <laughs> goes there back was a to Welton with an AK-47 <laughs> <laughs> there was a scene that was taken out where Neil's dad kind of gets his comeuppance so there was a bit of dialogue that was also taken out earlier where you find out that Neil has an older brother and his older brother is a doctor their dad goes to tell him that Neil's dead and his brother's like I've not been part of your family for years you've like pushed me and pushed me and forced me out and now I am a doctor but like I feel dead inside and you did this but they cut it out because I think they thought it was just too kind of on the head yeah yeah that's kind of my notes for Dead Poets Society now you made an interesting point earlier in the pod and I did some looking into this as well there's a couple of great video essays online about gay readings of Dead Poets Society so I mean this is more your call than my man so <laughs> what do you, what do you think it's just the way Neil and Todd's relationship is like shown and written it's there's clearly much more there than just being friends supporting each other and the way they perform it like it could have been completely unintentionally, but the way they perform it, lads, was saying that when Neil just like looks at how he looks at Todd after he's done the public speaking, it's like that someone who's like proud of someone they love kind of thing. And yeah, it just came across and like have, having Todd be the one who has the biggest breakdown out of everyone. <laughs> so there's a small part of me that wonders, and I couldn't find any hard fact about this whether there was an uh, an actual subtext, especially for the 50s, of them loving each other but without being able to express it, or they did express it and no one else was, could know. 
and then also it was the eighties. Did they would would they have put you know, kind of, essentially minors? I mean, I don't think the actors were minors, but would they present minors as gay characters? I don't think I don't they know. would have. No, um, no. And the, but the thing is that if you look back at a lot of like, a lot of eighties movies, they end up inadvertently being queer coded because of the way they are characters are being presented. Like you can watch like a lot of. 80s action movies and the way that the men act around each other that's yeah. very macho but also get a bit too close for just to be friends yes so if you uh you yourself tim or anyone listening or watching wants to i watched a couple of video kind of essays about the queer reading of dead poet society really good one by a person called Beanut Putter, <laughs> which is a spoon raisin of peanut butter, if you want to yeah, find yeah. it. Um, they are a trans person, and they read into the queer coding of this. They are female to male, and kind of thought about this, like lamenting uh, having a boyhood, yeah, you know, and how you know these boys acted, and you know, kind of missing out on some of that. And then also, obviously, about the relationship between Neil and Todd really great it's only about kind of 16 minutes really worth really worth watching they do a great job go and have a listen to that now there is uh, another person who has quite a a few views and seems to be this their thing (laughs) they have a series called how to read gay subtext (laughs) Uh, they're called alexander avillier and it seems to be they're quite funny quite a funny person and there's little little jokes peppered in about the gay agenda and the gay method and and he i think he literally started by saying something like did you get your gay agenda (laughs) (laughs) but that's about a half hour watch and it's kind of it seems like he's serious is about whether gay subtext can be read into a piece okay and he definitely believes that this is this is from almost their initial meeting right through to Todd's response to Neil's passing is everything can almost be read in that kind of romantic subtext. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to go check those out, I'd, I'd recommend both of those and I'm sure there's a ton of others. Oh, but, absolutely. You know. So I'm really glad you like the movie. It's one <laughs> of my... Really to finally watch it. Yeah, it's one of my favourites. Like my, one of my all-time favourites. Really great movie. Really well written, really well directed, really well shot. Really well acted by very young actors in the main. Robin Williams smashed it out of the park with one of his very few serious roles. Yeah. And we we will do Goodwill Hunting in the future. <laughs> so that's good to know. Yes. Glad you enjoyed it, Tim. So, two weeks. What's my required reading? What are we what are we getting into? So I um I've realised it's been a while since we've done music. I, think I was the, thinking of this too, but you beat me think, to the punch, go on. Yeah, the last music we did that, she was Blink-182, which was your episode, so it's my turn yes. now. I covered them in a recent ner- episode of Nerd News, in fact, my first episode of Nerd News. We're going to be l- looking at the band Sleep Token. Okay. They're a British metal band, and... Ob- obviously they're a metal band. But they're not the kind of metal you're going to expect, Bobby. This isn't going to be like Slipknot. This isn't going to be like Ice Nine Kills. It's going to be something really different. Okay. Um, the big thing that if you watched another dude's episode, you would know they are completely anonymous. No one knows who these people are. Okay. So what we're going to do is um, 
it's because they don't have any recordings of their live shows to watch. We are going to listen to their two most recent albums, 2021's This Place Will Become Your Tomb and 2023's Take Me Back to Eden. Okay. And yes, those are the two albums we are going to be covering. And I'm really excited about this because Sleep Token is a metal band that I like to try and now get a lot of people to listen to because you go in with your preconceived notions of what metal is going to be and then you listen to this and you get a completely different reaction. Okay, I I think I'm looking forward to it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but no, well, yeah, interesting. Like, yeah, I, I, my my interaction with metal is, is verging on kind of punky, the punkier side of metal. And obviously I know you're more into the heavier side. So I mean, I'm interested. Let's, let's go. Absolutely. But Bobby, where can we find you on the socials? My socials, bdavies underscore creative on X and Instagram. You can go there for my graphic design work, my audio editing, video editing, my work with Purpose Wrestling, Mighty Pro Wrestling, all my creative endeavours. I tend to, to tend to be filtered through there at some point. Please go follow me on those two formats. What about and you, Timothy? You can, and you can find me on all the socials at the Tim Martini. And, okay, I guess we've got to do the seven socials again. Yeah, I actually, I see. Now I'm thinking about it. If we included threads like we did last time, I think it's eight. So here we go. <laughs> okay. Go on. Ins- I want to let you go. Go on. Okay, so you can follow us at CC Society Pod at Instagram, X, Threads, TikTok, U yeah. slash Reddit. So it's U slash, right? Yeah, user slash user slash CC Society Podcast. CC Society Pod. Facebook at Cult Classic Society Pod. And you can send us an email at ccsocietypod at gmail.com. If you are listening to us, we are on YouTube, youtube.com slash ccsocietypod. If you're watching us and you're not subscribed yet, you can hit down the subscribe button and you can hit the notification button to get a notification. Or if you want to listen to us when you're on the go, you can follow us on all the streaming sites. You know, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Podcasts, Overcast. Wherever you want to listen to us, you can find us. Yeah, and please come and have a chat with us on the Facebook page, on Twitter, or X, whatever you want to call it, sorry. <laughs> uh, in the comment section on YouTube, you, that's a great place for uh, a bit of a diatribe, a bit of a chat. Leave some comments, we'll have a little talk. I have uh, had been uploading old episodes recently, and we've had a nice little chat on the Streetlight Manifesto <laughs> episode. We had a nice little chat with a nice a fan of the episode and a fan of Streetlight Manifesto. Also, on the very first video episode, Good Omens, we had a great little chat on there with someone. Come on, come and have a little <laughs> chat. That's it from this episode of Cold Classic Society, episode 34. We spoke about Dead Poet Society. Next week, we're talking about... Sleep Token. Sleep Token, the metal band. <laughs> and that's it from this episode. And like I said in the intro, you can call me Bobby... Or you can call me Oh Captain, my captain. <laughs> and you can call me Tim Martini. See you guys next time. See ya.